Bobby and I have become big fans of NTT Disruption's great work to empower smart tech solutions that will lead to big changes for good. That is why Good Is A New Cool is excited to share we have joined forces with NTT Disruption to bring you the most inspiring purpose-led ideas and innovations from around the world. From our GoodCon Global Festivals of Good to partnering on this podcast, together we are helping business leaders across the globe to hashtag disrupt for good. Learn more about how to disrupt for good at goodisanewcool.com. I love this quote. The world is not made of atoms. It is made of stories by Muriel Rekazer. It's funny that, you know, when I was at the point in my life in which I was really struggling the most to figure out what my purpose was for my life and for my work, and I was really struggling with it. And it was a story that I remembered that my good friend Eric Dawson told me that really helped clarify what my purpose was. And it was a story of two wolves. For those who haven't heard it, the story is basically sort of a grandfather, and he's talking to his grandson. Uh, and the grandfather is uh, telling his grandson that he has these two wolves inside of him. And these wolves are constantly at war with one another. And that there's one wolf that is angry and hateful uh, and vengeful and, and, and violent. And there's this other wolf that is loving and is kind and that is generous and that is compassionate. And these two wolves are constantly at war uh, inside of him. And the grandson looks at the grandfather and he says, well, if these two wolves are constantly at war, which wolf wins? And the grandfather looks at his grandson and he says, the wolf that wins is the one that I choose to feed. And it was at that moment that I realized that I wanted to feed the good in the world. And so it's a reminder of the power of story to clarify moments in life, but also directions of our lives. And so I go back to that story often as a pivotal moment. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Good is a New Cool, the field recordings. My name is Afdal Aziz, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Mr. Bobby Jones. Hey, what's up? I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others find ways to use their talents and passions to create a better world. Today, Good is New Cool connects and serves a global movement of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good. In our day jobs, we're also the co-founders of Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, and Oreo help create social impact. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In this book, we outline the nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the new generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees. Throughout this series, you'll join us behind the scenes on a journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself. Storytelling may seem far removed from business, but when it comes to purpose, the experiences of others and indeed ourselves can serve as a continuous source of inspiration. Both sharing and listening to each other's stories connects us in deeper, more meaningful ways, beyond the point of acknowledgement to the point of understanding. This is the fuel for social change and what can inspire the most successful and long-lasting impact. You know, I look at everything in terms of stories, intersecting, interlocking stories. You know, culture is the story that we tell about ourselves uh, as a people. History is the story that was told in the past, right? I think about the stories of individuals, which is what this podcast series is about, and how their individual stories interconnect with the story of the company. You know, we say this all the time, um, strategy is story. The best way to communicate to people what we should be doing is through a story. Stories have this ability to encode so much meaning more than just data, 
Absolutely. And and it's important to share those stories, but also to to really listen to those stories. You know, in order to do the work of being of service to other people and, and communities and businesses and so forth, you have to understand their stories. You have to understand where they're coming from and what their experiences are. Because um, I think that's our best hope of really understanding each other and, and recognizing opportunities to create and do and be better than we are today. And you know, Bobby, it's interesting when we think about the idea of a brand as a story as well, right? You and I have worked in so many iconic brands. I remember when I started working on Heineken, I had the privilege of going to the archives in Amsterdam and walking into this room where they've meticulously collected the story of the brand for the last, you know, 50, 100 years. It's like a time machine going back and looking at uh, parts of the brand, understanding what makes it special, and then understanding your job is to just be responsible for the next chapter, to honor the past, but also connect with the present and then preserve that brand story for the next generation as well. So you can pass the baton. Um, and I think that's really another, another way where we have learned how to tell the stories of these brands um, so that they connect to the lives of people in, in meaningful ways. That's how these brands get that kind of power and connection and affinity as well. Yeah. And we want to know those stories. We want to know who created this. And that's one of the things you and I both enjoy is kind of digging in and kind of being like archaeologists and like, well, what's the heart of this story? What's the heart of this brand? And why does it exist? Let's see if we can pay that forward in a way that's that that makes it of value in this particular moment in, in people's lives in a way that they uh, can see and value and appreciate and want to be part of. For Holly Gordon, Chief Impact Officer at Participant, stories are the building block with which she has built and driven her own purpose throughout her career. Whether that's the extraordinary stories that she has been part of telling or her own incredible story and how it has collided with other inspiring creatives along the way. From her upbringing to chance meetings to becoming a mother, with each turn in her story came a new opportunity to refocus her life and career. And as she put it, Many of these moments set her on an unexpected path to purpose. I've had one of those careers when you look back on it, it all makes sense. But in fact, every decision I've made has been a result of being in a role or a position in my life where everything just wasn't quite lining up. And so I needed to make a choice and find a, a new direction. So never once did I wake up in the morning saying, I know exactly where I want to be in 25 years, um, but I've never been afraid of taking a risk or taking a, a turn. I mean, for those of you who don't know, let me just, just say a few things about Participant, right? Over 100 feature and documentary films that have earned 74 Academy Award nominations, 19 wins. Movies like An Inconvenient Truth. I mean, the movies these guys put out are incredible and they're world-changing. Its purpose is to create entertainment that inspires and compels social change. You know, I, I think... You know, Holly in particular, in terms of her title as chief impact officer. I mean, first of all, what a just an epic title, just like hmm. your 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 job is to drive impact. Your job is to really ensure that these stories are helping to change the world, which I think is an incredible, just an incredible role just to have within a company, but just in, in life in general. Yeah, I mean, she's an incredible person, I think. You know, we often talk about, you know, the, the characteristics that somebody needs in order to be a, a world changer, right? And so she has many of them. She has the soul of an activist. She cares passionately about the world. But then she also has the talents of a storyteller. You know, she was a filmmaker herself. So she understands the power of the medium. But she's also very strategic. You know, she understands when to pick a story and what stories to pick and, and then how to bring that to life in terms of that impact that compels social change. And, and through it all, she's also just a, a really warm and funny person, as you're about to find out in this interview. So when I sat down to speak with Holly, I thought we could start with her own origin story and how life had brought her to this moment at Participant Media. The sort of real origin story is that I was born in Kenya to two British parents and moved to the United States when I was young. And because of being born in Kenya, we used to go back to Kenya uh, every year or two for vacations. And my mother used to save our money for the year or the two years between these trips so that we could go to other places along the way. And so I really grew up 
living a sort of middle-class American life, but understanding how privileged I was in terms of how most people in the world live, their standards of living, and also being really deeply curious about the world. And by college, deeply curious um, about things like foreign policy and uh, diplomacy. And so I thought I wanted to go in the foreign service. And so I graduated from university and I took the foreign service exam and I failed. So my first turning point. Although she failed the exam, her passion and curiosity set her up nicely for when a life-changing opportunity would present itself. Right around that time, I had a really adventurous friend who was a journalist, and he had a contract um, to write a story about the last living tigers in the wild in India. And he asked me if I wanted to come with him. Um, And for me, the choice was, well, try to go to New York and find a job in God knows what since I failed the Foreign Service exam or go on this trip and use the savings from college to have sort of one last hurrah before professional life. And I should have had an inkling that I was gonna have a future in stories when instead of multiple changes of clothes, I just packed one change of clothes and a manual typewriter in my backpack. So all across India, um, after our our days of travel, I would tip tap away on my manual typewriter, not knowing who I was writing for, but but having the sense that if only I captured what I was seeing, um, when I got back, my friends and family would have a better understanding of the existence of so many millions of people who they might never know. And it was about two or three months in when I had this aha moment. Oh, this is a job. You can get paid for this. It's called journalism. And so I then made a strategic decision to focus on television journal, not journalism, not print journalism, because I thought um, it was better funded and the opportunities were better. So part of this was heart led, which is, oh, I have a passion for telling stories and seeing the world. And that's an actual job. And part of it was head led, which is, well, why don't I choose the industry where the pay is going to be higher? My parents were not going to be supporting me into my 20s. Intrepid is a word that springs to mind when you think about a young woman traveling around the world with a typewriter and a change of clothes, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's that classic fearless reporter, you know, uh, mentality. And it's interesting, you know, being that kind of, of reporter and a journalist is really about going in search of stories, right? And putting yourself way out of your comfort zone. It's not waiting for stories to come to you. It's you going out there and finding them. And it takes a certain kind of courage. Uh, to be able to do that. And I think that's where once she began to to not only report, but also trying to find a way to distill that what she saw in India to her friends and family, that's another step, you know, trying to find the meaning in those journeys, in those stories. That's another layer of storytelling that I think she was able to unlock. You know, you talk about someone who is just wired to be a storyteller. Is a, is, a, is a very specific way of kind of seeing the world and seeing your place in it as sort of that kind of translator and storyteller and transmitter of, of culture and, mm. and insights and so forth. I then hurried my way around the rest of our trip and went to New York and couch surfed for several months and landed my first job, which is as the assistant to the executive producer at World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. From ABC News, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Back in the day, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather were the kings of the hill. Everybody watched those three news broadcasts. And so um, I'd gone from rural India and my manual typewriter to really what was the hub of reporting and television news at the time. And then I spent 12 years there, and um, it was an incredible experience. I flew all over the world. I covered school shootings and wars um, and very personal stories. I'll never forget the story about the woman in Texas who was in a car accident. She was eight months pregnant. She was in a car accident and she spent four weeks in a coma and she came back to life when she delivered her baby. Uh, I went to Kosovo and covered the story of uh, many, many Kosovars were pushed out of their homes and were refugees. And I met this young girl, Albana, who was 24 my same age, basically, um, and who had lost everything. And, you know, but for our geographical location, our lives could have been the same. So these were stories that made my work meaningful and were incredibly exciting. Holly spent 12 years truly immersed by storytelling. And though her work was meaningful, her story had only just begun. And along came another chapter, which meant things needed to change. It was time to reinvent herself and redirect her purpose. 
Um, the challenge was that I had two children by this point. In those days, your worth as a television news producer was your the the quick the speed with which you could get on an airplane, no questions asked. And I had these two kids, and I could no longer get on an airplane at the drop of a hat. And so I needed to reinvent myself and figure out a, a different path. And that led me to the Tribeca Film Festival. So that was my first introduction to Hollywood. I met some extraordinary directors while I was there, including Abby Disney, who makes a lot of social good films, and got the chance to do things that I had never had the chance to do. Once again, her journalistic curiosity served her well, and she jumped into the new environment with a great eagerness to learn. I was the director of content, and one of my jobs was to create the advertorials for Vanity Fair, the New York Times, and the ESPN magazine. Well, I'd produced television news for years, but I'd never done print spreads. So I didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, the nice thing about being a journalist is you're curious. I asked everyone who I knew in the magazine world, how do you do a great spread? So I loved this whole thing of learning new things. And it was about that time that I bumped into a friend of mine from ABC News, a guy named Tom Yellen, um, and he had been Peter Jennings' producer for everything that was not the evening news. And he had started a production company with Peter. And if you remember, Peter, after decades of being one of the leading anchors in the United States, he was diagnosed with lung cancer, um, and he very quickly died. At any rate, that's it for now in World News Tonight. Have a good evening. I'm Peter Jennings. Thanks and good night. And after Peter's death, Tom was wrestling with this question of, without Peter, the, the challenge was that ABC was probably not going to be dis- willing to distribute all of the content he made. But how could he con- continue to make and tell important stories um, in a world where the Kardashians were ruling the day, where we were more interested in interesting news than we were in important information? And so that was the challenge that he was struggling with, and I was equally interested in that challenge. How do you, how do you tell stories that have value? Um, how do you find the funding, and how do you find the distribution? I was really curious about answering this question um, because I so believe in the power of storytelling to move people in a way that almost no other intervention can. What's so interesting about Holly's story is how gradually it's not just becoming a web of experiences, but also of individuals. And this shows in this moment where she reconnects with Tom Yellen and the work she ends up doing with the documentary group. And so I partnered up with Tom, and there were 10 projects in the pipeline at his company called The Documentary Group, and one of them was this thing called The Girls' Education Project. And The Girls' Education Project was based on this fundamental truth that if you educate girls in the developing world, everything in your country will get better. And it was an economic argument. But we were going to make a heartfelt film that would put names and faces and humanity behind this economic argument which I call a global campaign for girls' education with a film at the center. And our model was to show that great storytelling plus deep partnerships could create transformational change. Holly brought her tenacious and proactive nature to the project, making it her mission to build the purpose behind each film as strong as the storytelling itself. And so she realized, why wait to start the campaign until after the release of the film when you could start now? I wanted to see what could happen in terms of creating scale and visibility around a piece of content if you spend as much time building a campaign as you do working on the content at the center of that campaign. So I spent three years raising millions of dollars um, and building partnerships with foundations, with nonprofit organizations, with individual philanthropists, and with companies all of whom had the same belief as as we did, that educating girls was the silver bullet to global development, but none of whom had the storytelling capabilities that we had. And so we knitted together this intersectional set of partners, and we all worked together towards a launch point of this film so that when Girl Rising finally came out, all of the partners activated around that film in different ways that were true to their own capacity and networks. So it was this beautiful collaboration of what we could bring, which was story, and what our network could bring, which is impact. You know, as much as the the challenges that girls face and the importance and power of girls and all those things becoming much more culturally relevant today and has, has probably been more culturally relevant than I've seen in my lifetime, when that work was being done, when Girl Rising and the Girl Education Project was happening, that wasn't the case. You know, they were doing a lot of the initial work, the important work 
of bringing to life why girls were so critical um, in society and culture. Yeah, it's it's funny. In our work in social impact, there aren't many silver bullets, right? But girls' education is one of those things. I can imagine almost Holly traveling around the world, seeing the plight of young girls in, in some of these countries and and having that awakening as an activist to say, I want to put my talents as a storyteller in service of something more profound and finding that issue or cause. Uh, she found her sword, you know, in, in what we always talk about, finding your swords and shields. She found her sword and it was girls' education. However, for someone as invested as Holly, telling these stories can come at a cost. And sometimes moving on is what is needed to be able to keep going. You know, Girl Rising was, a, it took it took six or seven years to build and launch and it was hugely scary. No one trains you for a job like that. Um, you know, I started as a three, remember I was doing this for flexibility with my kids. I started working three days a week. By the end, I was working 80 hours a week and on airplanes all over the world. But it almost killed me. I was so exhausted. And so after six years, um, I started the process of turning over the leadership um, of Girl Rising and then went to a, a, a sort of incubator job, I think of it as. Holly was able to turn her challenging moment with Girl Rising and create lessons that she channeled into her incubator job with the Nantucket Project, creating a place where purpose-driven leaders could be nurtured with both a strategic and human-driven approach. The Nantucket Project is a conference that happens on Nantucket every year in the fall and brings together thought leaders from across all sorts of disciplines. And at the center of Nantucket Project is a real focus on humanity. What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to really struggle with the big questions in life? So it's all on one side, a very intellectual conference and another side, it's very humanistic. Um, and my job there was to take um, the four days of the Nantucket Project and um, offer it as both an incubator community and a skills-based training program for a set of impact leaders who, like me at Girl Rising, had found themselves on what I call an unexpected path to purpose. Something changes in your life. Maybe it's your kid is diagnosed with an unusual illness, or you have a life experience that just changes your perception about your purpose in the world. You know you have to do this thing, but you have no idea how to do it. So I wanted to give a set of purpose-driven leaders as much training and support and connection that what I didn't have starting Girl Rising. And so I, I helped to build the Nantucket Project, called the Nantucket Project Scholars Program. You know, I really love the phrase she uses here, an unexpected path to purpose, you know, and we've talked a lot in this podcast about how purpose is a journey, not a destination, but it's also dictated by chance and serendipity. You know, meeting the right person in the right place at the right time can have this profound impact on what your journey is and going on as well. And I think Holly found that um, in this moment as well. Yeah, and, and it, it also touches on, you know, something that we, we always say is, um, you know, clarity follows action. And, you know, sometimes you don't know what action is, is going to take you. Holly's story is really, is really the kind of the culmination of a lot of yeses in her life. And then as she says, you know, you look back, all of those steps, they form a path and you, you realize that you're at this, this place that feels right. This is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It's such a difficult thing to make sense of when you're in it. But sometimes it's just that, that trust to just keep going and just kind of follow your heart and follow your head and just trust that over time that you'll, you'll land in a place that, uh, that you're supposed to be. The point is there are all these different links in a chain in your life. And uh, who would have thought how that, that time at the Nantucket Project would then lead to this unexpected opportunity arriving in your inbox? This job perspective landed in my inbox from a, a grade school friend who worked for the headhunting company that was running the search. So I was so close to not even knowing this job was open, and it was the chief impact officer of participant media. And of course, I knew all about participant I studied participant when building Girl Rising and the work they do around films. And it is the one Hollywood production company that's creating stories at scale, all of which have a, have a message of social good at the heart. And so um, I was thrilled 
when after a, a multi-month process of interviewing and flying out to L.A., uh, they offered me the job, and I got in an RV with my dog and my two now teenage children and my husband and my mom. She got the best bed in the back of the RV, and we drove to Los Angeles, and we haven't looked back. So with the family packed and in the RV, Holly's story was about to have an exciting and vibrant new chapter with participant. The chief impact officer job was a new role of the company um, to try to grow and hone participants' approach to to impact campaigning. It had always had an impact leader, but they just elevated it to a C-suite position. And I think that that's important. The fact that it's now a a sort of a C-suite chief impact officer makes me think of it as a job where where sort of leadership and vision is important in terms of where do we want to go and how can we help lead the way, um, you know, forward-leaning, visionary way. Now, who knows if that's... God, that's a huge that's a huge challenge. So, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that I'll be able to meet it, but that's certainly how I came to the role. Although Holly's seat at the table was firmly fixed, she used this position sparingly. But when it came to choosing what campaigns participants were involved in, she had unwavering faith in the purpose-driven stories that the other creatives brought to the table. My agenda is to support the promise of the mission, which is extraordinary content that will inspire social change. And what I'm looking for is unseen risks that perhaps others don't have the same perspective on. So adding my perspective, um, but I'm not seeking to influence the content decisions. And here's why. Making content is such a difficult thing to do. And artists see things in that are sometimes, they first of all, they see things earlier than most people and they see things in a nuanced way. It's art is magic. And so my job is to flag and potentially question, but I don't believe that my job is to kill or kill a project or advocate for necessarily for a point of view that has an impact first lens. So the question was, what comes first, the story or the impact? Well, what Holly made so clear was that the story was integral to informing the impact and therefore should be protected at all costs. I deeply believe in protecting the story coming first. That's the company we have here. Um, The story is the product and the impact is the byproduct. And if you don't focus on your product, you will not get your byproduct. So the better the product, the better the byproduct's gonna be. And I'm super comfortable in that role. This is the genius of what participant does, right? So the first task is it has to be entertaining. It has to draw you in. Because if it doesn't, the message gets lost. If it's too message heavy, it's preachy, and it just gets churned off. And this is the, the genius of what they do is they find these compelling stories. They work with the most incredible creative and storytellers but they always find a way to use the locomotive of the story to pull people along, to put them uh, into a mode where they think about change, whether it's the climate with the incredible inconvenient truth, whether it's domestic workers with Roma, every single time they do this beautiful kind of trick of bringing you in and immersing you and then uh, hitting you with an idea that is game-changing and world-changing. I think one of the other things that really makes Holly so well-suited for this role is that uh, at her heart, she's also a storyteller and she's also Mm -hmm. a a creator. And because of that, you know, we hear how much respect she has for the storytellers and creators in the fact that oftentimes creators, they see things before other people see them. And because she, she recognizes that, she honors that, and I think that's also part of the reason why storytellers are drawn to spaces where they know that their art and their stories are going to be uh, heard and appreciated, but also brought to life by people who trust them to tell those stories in really interesting and compelling ways. Uh, and I think that's also part of the reason why they create such a great product as well. Yeah, it reminds me of actually in our first book, In Good as a New Cool, uh, when we interviewed uh, Jennifer Willig from Product Red. You know, And one of the things she said was, you can't sell a bad product even with a good cause. 
you need to have a great product in the first instance. And that's where a participant is, is really kind of a place that has created a space for storytellers to come and find the activist part of it themselves. You know, Steven Spielberg, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, George Clooney, Steven Soderbergh, incredible documentarians, Alex Gibney, Laura Poitras, Errol Morris, David Gu- Davis Guggenheim. All of these people have come to Participant because they know the storytelling comes first. They, they are absolutely out there to make something which is successful commercially, but the deeper purpose drives Participant. And that's why I think they get these incredible artists coming in. I love this bit when Holly said, art is magic. By protecting and, and capturing that magic in a bottle, um, participant is able to then use that magic to drive social change. It's the spark uh, in the engine. And I think that's why it's so important to protect that magic um, and to protect those creators. Uh, because without them, there's no way for that spark to light a fire. And you know the fact that Holly was promoted to this role that lives in a C-suite function, I think it's really a testament to how much impact is really valued and emphasized, you know, a participant in a way that makes it just as important as every other aspect of, of a film's success. And this idea that Holly talked about in terms of the double bottom line, not just one from a revenue standpoint, but one from an impact standpoint. Yeah, I think it goes back to participants' roots, right? With this commitment at the heart to create extraordinary content that can inspire social change, it's always been part of the mission of the company. It's not just to make, you know, award-winning, critically acclaimed movies. There must always be some sort of social impact. And by elevating the role of a chief impact officer to the C-suite, to have them involved in green lighting projects, um, to have them, to give them a seat at the table, um, really speaks to how much participant as an organization um, values that part of its mission. One without the other um, is is not going to be as powerful as both of them working in harmony together. And for participant, the journey doesn't stop there when it comes to maximizing the potential impact each film can have. So we produce about 10 um, films and episodic series a year. And of those, we choose four around which to develop flagship campaigns. And we use six criteria to, to decide whether or not we uh, choose a film to be a flagship. Start with scale. How big is the issue? How many people are affected by the issue the film touches? The second is emotion. How does the film leave you feeling? Compassion is an incredibly important feeling, but it's not an activating feeling. Um, Inspiration is activating. Um, Fear, unfortunately, is activating. I think that inspiration is a transformational and hope um, and a vision of the future. Those are transformational feelings, meaning they last a really long time. Fear and guilt, although activating, they're short-term transactional feelings. You want to feel them and get through it fast. So if you're trying to get someone to donate, fear or guilt are really good tactics. If you're trying to get someone to change their behavior forever, go for inspiration and hope every time. So once you have established whether to go for the inspirational or activating action plan, the next step is... Timeliness. How timely is this issue? So there are four stages that move you from awareness of an issue to action, and you can't rush them. So um, those four stages are awareness. You just noted it exists. Understanding. I feel as though that's when you go from the external, you know it exists, to the internal. You have an understanding of how it impacts you and you've internalized it. Engagement, you've internalized it so much, you now are seeking new information or you want to take your first step towards being involved in whatever this issue area is. And action. Action is the furthest step along this sort of continuum. And it's that you've, you've been made aware, you understand it, you are engaged enough that all you need is a push and you're going to take action. When we assess timeliness, we want to know where most people are in terms of their understanding of the issue. Are we really early on? Like you didn't even know it existed as a problem. I would say for a lot of people, child labor is there. Like you have no idea that maybe in the first five hours of your day, you touch 10 things that may be made by a child. So that's, we're at the awareness understanding phase of that. And the following component is clarity of message. Which is when you watch the piece of content, how clear is it what we want you to do? How clear is the message around the issue? Obviously, 
and a narrative, the message is much more diffuse. In a documentary, it's usually much tighter and on the nose. The next component is agency. In particular, ensuring the action that someone can take is in the scope and scale of the content scene. How easily or specifically can some regular old person take action around the issue that the content has presented? Because if you give someone an issue where the action is not easy, clear, measurable, and makes them feel like they're really doing something, you break the agreement with them. And it's just really, really important that the action that someone can take is reflective of the content itself. One thing that Holly understands so well is that agency is a variable in itself. And that just because two individuals are inspired to take action, it doesn't mean the way they manifest it will be the same. Doing this work, I'm often asked, well, what's the call to action? And I say, what we want to do is to create an environment where there are many different calls to action, because um, depending where you are on the continuum, it's going to depend on what action you're ready to take, number one, right? So sharing might be a really legitimate action for someone who's never heard of the issue before. Voting is going to be the action for someone who's on the streets already convinced. It also depends on who you are. So if I'm running a Food Inc. campaign and I want to change the laws around the FDA, but my, my only call to action is donate to you know, a farmer's support fund, but it turns out my audience is the head of the FDA, I don't want to ask the head of the FDA to donate to the farmer's support fund. I want to ask him to change the regulation. And so audience really, really matters when you're developing a CTA as well. And the final component is? So the sixth element we look at is what can participant media bring to the table? If participant gets involved in this project from an impact perspective, how can we, because of who we are and because of the network that we're part of, add leverage, bring in partners, et cetera? I love that Holly's story really exemplifies one of the principles in the book which you talk about, which is that purpose should measure what you treasure. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me was just how clear Holly is about what impact films should make, the different ways that they can impact different people, and the value that all of that different types of impact can have and change. Like there isn't just one way that you can inspire someone or catalyze action or one type of action that matters. She just has this really great way of looking at change in a way that allows for everyone who interacts with a story to have a place in it and a way of being able to measure that. Yeah, I think the model that she's created with Participant has so many lessons for all of us working uh, to use business and culture as forces for good. Um, I mean, one of the things is, it's, it's maybe simple, but it's this idea of choosing which issue you want to get involved in, um, you know, that we talk about in another principle, which is Purposes about picking your sword and shields. It's such a sophisticated way of tackling resource allocation, um, of deciding whether you want the fight in the first place and whether you can win it. I think it holds a lot of lessons um, for us uh, in, in the social impact space uh, about how to be judicious with your time, your treasure, your talent, um, making sure resources go a lot further. There, there's this great quote from one of my favorite TV shows, The West Wing, which is, um, if we don't know what the fight is, how do we know if we want it, <laughs> right? And what they do is really think about the fight they're going to pick and the the clarity with which they assess whether to create a campaign uh, around a particular film is so brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other things I, I really love about, you know, her framework is, you know, this spectrum of ways that people can interact with an issue, you know, from awareness to understanding to engagement to action. I think we're one of the biggest missed opportunities with a lot of stories is that they don't locate people in the, in the right places of those stages. And they want people, they want to move people right to action when sometimes people are just becoming aware of it for the first time. People have to go through their own journey in terms of their connection with an issue. And it's part of the job of the filmmaker in her role in terms of thinking about the impact, in terms of how to locate people in certain places, move them along and measure their ability to do it as well. So we're never the ones that provide the solution. And I really try to make this clear to my team. We are but a catalyst. We are but a visitor to every space that we inhabit. For the most part, we look to our partners, however, to deliver the impact. 
And so what we do is it's a lot like journalism, right? So my breadcrumb career pays off because, you know, what I encourage my team to do is to go into every conversation like a journalist. Our job is to really understand our partner's needs. And we say, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And how can a piece of hugely visible content accelerate your work? How can we create the right timing and the right formula so that when the distributor is spending millions of dollars on advertising for this piece of content, you are there with your engines running, ready to put that fuel into the car and take your take your goals forward. Again, you see Holly's early training as a journalist come to life when she talks about how she encourages every team that she works with to go into a conversation thinking as a journalist uh, and using one of the most crucial skills a journalist should have, which is listening and understanding. So instead of going in there and speaking to, you know, nonprofits or other partners and kind of dictating what participant wants to do, I think using the art of listening uh, to understand what is the opportunity, the space, um, the problem that participant can help using its incredible resources. Um, that is a, a beautiful insight um, that everybody should try and apply in their work. One thing that surprised me when talking to Holly was just how difficult it can actually be to tread the line between business and nonprofit and holding the tension between scale and impact. I've started to describe it as a suspension bridge, right? Which is that we each hold each other up. So the fact that our movies are so big and commercial is what makes our impact so strong. And the fact that our impact is so strong is based on the fact that our movies are big and commercial. So we support each other. And um, the challenge that we always find is that, is Ava DuVernay's When They See Us a criminal injustice thriller? Or is it a criminal justice reform film? And there are different audiences and a bigger audience that wants to watch an extraordinary thriller than there is that's going to be attracted to a film that's marketed as a criminal justice reform film. And so therein lies the tension. So I think about it, it's like a boat and the water skier, that the that the that the distributor's narrative around the entertainment value of the content is the boat and the impact campaign is the water skier. So the bigger the boat, the bigger the wake, the more we can do our tricks and, you know, create an awesome show in its wake as an impact campaign. But if you put the water skier in front of the boat, you get run over. <laughs> it's also a good metaphor for the short termism. Like you can't and water it, ski for like, you know, years and years. You have to water ski like fast. That's right. You can't have a wake line that's like a million miles long. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You just added to my metaphor. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Your metaphors are great. When I think about that idea of, of the boat and in uh, the water skier, it's just a perfect vision for keeping in mind what's most important and also what the role of the boat is. And I think Holly's ability to understand the importance of both and the relationship of both is really what makes her, you know, such an effective uh, chief impact officer. Yeah, it's and it's it's such a well orchestrated set of partners, right? When when participant knows that it's putting out a multi million dollar piece of content that is going to get all sorts of marketing behind it, all sorts of buzz, it thinks very carefully about timing and how to orchestrate these groups of other change makers, policymakers, nonprofits, government officials, activists um, to leverage that cultural wave that it's creating um, so smartly, you know, they are masters at creating that, um, you know, three-way partnership model that we often talk about, bringing in uh, a brand or corporations as well as nonprofits and activists to link to this cultural piece of content that they're putting out there. If you're a culture maker, you have a lot of unexpected allies for whom creating art and creativity is not your, their natural state of being. And so look for the unexpected allies who can help bring visibility and scale and a different perspective to the work that you do. I like to tell the story of Intel. I was a journalist. I was very suspicious of Intel. Intel's a big corporation. My whole life had been 
focused on institutional responsibility, right? Asking tough questions around how corporates work. And yet here I was partnering with Intel that had a deep commitment to women and girls around Girl Rising and who saw Girl Rising as a way to organize their own commitments to women and girls under one banner. I didn't know what to expect. We totally spoke different languages. One of the things that I learned early on was an idea does not exist inside Intel until it's in a PowerPoint document. I was a journalist. I didn't know how to write a PowerPoint. What's that? I didn't know what a deliverable was. I didn't know what milestones were. You know, all these things that are normal to corporate contract making, that's not what journalists do. And so partnership means learning the language of the person you're collaborating with. First of all, articulating clearly your shared goal because there are gonna be bumps in the road when you're working with unexpected allies and then learning and respecting the language of your partner and deepening engagement um, with your unexpected allies so that when your culture, when your art goes into the world, it is seeding change in ways that you could never have imagined. Av, you and I know this uh, just from our, our own experience because so much of what we do is bringing corporate brands, nonprofits, and corporate uh, and culture creators together to the table to work together to solve a particular issue. And you know, it's 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 funny sometimes just how different the language is amongst those three groups. You know, the brands are talking and. Uh, ROI and market share, and which is a completely different language than the nonprofits who are talking in terms of impact models, and then the culture creators are, are talking in terms of, you know, how dope it is or how cool it's going to be. <laughs> but when you can find that common language and really listen beyond the jargon, you can find where everyone has this con- this shared intention. Uh, to create change. And then you can really understand the, the unique superpowers that each of them have. And I think now, you know, I think because we're seeing more of these brands and nonprofits and culture creators connecting, they're really discovering how valuable each other can be. I think Holly just understands that in a way that I think is really important for a lot of people who are looking to create change uh, needs to understand. Yeah, I think this is how you apply these principles in business and life, right? How do you lead with creativity? Oftentimes, that's the missing link that people are looking for. And by creating these beautiful cultural artifacts um, that move people deeply and emotionally, you're able to reach people at a spiritual level, at a heart level. And, And that's where that cultural capital can then be partnered with financial capital in the form of companies or brands and and being able to align themselves around a common goal, a common purpose. And then those two things are what allow us to create social capital, allow us to create real change, um, real impact in the world. And and I think whether you're a brand, a nonprofit, or a culture creator, finding ways to collaborate together makes you all stronger. And aligning yourself around that that common higher order purpose uh, to move the world forward is really um, this this amazing catalyst um, that we so often see happen in, in life, um, just like Participant does uh, with, with the movies and projects it, it creates. I feel a huge sense of responsibility, privilege, because I'm doing what I love to do. I wanted to be in the Foreign Service. I think I have the opportunity to do more good in this seat than as a member of the United States Foreign Service despite the fact that I revered that organization and the work of those people. So I sit in a place of enormous privilege and enormous responsibility. And the breadcrumbs of my life are helping me to untangle the challenges of every day, Um, because every day is a challenge, which is the sign of a good job. And I would say, the most important thing that I hold tight to every day are two fundamental beliefs. I know nothing, or at least I know very little, so I need to be asking questions. And there's always somebody who can help you um, because no problem that humanity is facing is new. And so being a lifelong learner and, and seeking out new knowledge 
is the thing that I hold on to as this sort of grounding idea. So I don't know about you, Bobby, but I've really enjoyed listening to Holly's story. And as I think about what we can all take home from what Holly's talked about, I think about the idea of creating a bespoke model to measure what you treasure. Really think about creating something that's customized, that's specific to your particular situation, your particular objectives or challenge. Um, Everybody's goals are different. Everybody's uh, ways to measure success are different. So take the time to really understand um, what is valuable and important to you and your organization. And doing so will allow you to really see the impact over time in a much clearer way. And one of the things that Holly's story, and one of the reasons why I love it so much, is it reminds me that we are the stories that we tell. And, you know, I would encourage you to really think about that. And actually, so what are the stories that we're telling about ourselves? What are the stories that we're telling about each other? What are the stories that we're telling about our brands or our businesses or our organizations? And what are the stories that we're telling about who we are and what we have the, the, the opportunity or capacity to be? And if those stories aren't serving us, don't be afraid to change the narrative. Don't be afraid to rewrite a story with a different ending, with a different purpose, with a different intention, or to change a story in ways that are more respectful or inclusive or more compassionate about the experiences of others. And we all have the power to be storytellers, whether it's in our work or in our lives, um, and use that power wisely and think about how we can all be more purposeful storytellers in our day-to-day lives. This episode of Good is the New Cool, The Field Recordings was hosted by myself, After Aziz, and Bobby Jones. It featured Holly Gordon, Chief Impact Officer at Participant, and was produced by Natalia Rodriguez. Go to goodisthenewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of The Principles of Purpose. You can also keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at goodisthenewcool. Thank you for listening and join us next week for another episode of The Field Recordings. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't forget to look after each other.